Our speaker today is Raymond Latanzio. He's an experienced senior implementation consultant with over eight years of expertise in deploying and implementing CMMS systems. He has a proven track record of successfully implementing more than 100 e-maintenance CMMS projects. Raymond holds certifications as a project management professional, PMP for those of you that are in the know, and reliability leader, CRL, indicating his proficiency in project management and reliability engineering. He is currently uh, presenting today from Tempe, Arizona, where it's going to be 100 degrees before the day ends. All right, you're here for continuing your success, measuring and maintaining a successful CMMS deployment. Raymond, take it away. Thank you, Robin, I appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good afternoon, uh, wherever you may be. Um, today's presentation is gonna be about a CMMS implementation, but what does that look like a little bit further down the line? Uh, what we find when uh, a lot of our new customers begin implementing a CMMS project is that there's a lot of energy and a lot of excitement in the beginning of the project. And oftentimes a lot of uh, customers don't really create too many concrete plans for what the long-term vision of that CMMS implementation is gonna be, what year two or year three or even beyond that is gonna look like. And oftentimes what happens is projects can actually start with a lot of momentum in the beginning. Uh, and then as time goes on, the excitement and the lack of engagement uh, that occurs later on down the line can actually uh, cause uh, many issues in the project. So we gave a presentation in uh, last spring about how to sex, uh, successfully implement a CMMS project uh, starting out. And we wanted to do this presentation or webinar to show you what continued success looks like uh, past the initial implementation. So have, we put together five key steps here uh, to continuing your CMMS implementation and making sure that your success is long-term. And the first one here uh, is to identify uh, KPIs and metrics that you want to track within the system. Um, the first step to identifying uh, KPIs and metrics uh, would be to uh, interview and engage key stakeholders. So obviously uh, there's gonna be other individuals, not just the, the end users of the system that may be interested in getting information out of the database. It's important that you create some KPIs and metrics for uh, not just the users of the system, not just the maintenance managers, not just the uh, the production teams that you're working with, but maybe even um, uh, senior leadership. So it's really important to engage and also interview all stakeholders to make sure that you're uh, figuring out exactly what kinds of metrics and KPIs they're looking for. Uh, this system is not just for the users, but it's for everybody. So we wanna make sure that everybody gets an input in regards to what metrics they'd like to uh, be pulled from the system. Once you've defined those uh, specific case KPIs and metrics, you wanna go into the system, uh, whether it's within the actual CMS system, uh, in email, we have a pretty robust reporting module on a dashboard uh, utility that you can use to create metrics and KPIs or maybe even extracting data from the system and using another tool like Power BI or something like that to uh, display your metrics and KPIs. You wanna make sure that they're defined and then you can actually use the system to build them. One important thing to, to note about case KPIs and metrics is that a lot of times it's gonna be necessary for you to create a baseline uh, in the system. Sometimes uh, in the beginning of an, a CMS implementation, I remind customers that if they really are interested in those KPIs and metrics in the very beginning, that there might not be a lot of data for us to use in order to create those metrics and KPIs. So it's really important to make sure that uh, you don't necessarily use the, the results of the KPIs and metrics too early because you may not have enough data or you may not have created a baseline to base your uh, decision-making off of. So it's really important to begin to view the, the, the metrics and KPIs over maybe not just a month, maybe a few months or even a whole year to really begin to create your baselines for uh, what your metrics and KPIs are gonna be, what the targets for those metrics and KPIs are gonna be. So if you don't have any baselines to find at your organization, my first uh, piece of advice there would be to create those baselines. 
The last thing that you want to take into account when uh, identifying and creating these KPIs and metrics would be to create a communication plan around how to, you know, it's great that we're going to create these so that they can uh, be viewed and we can analyze how our teams are performing uh, within the system. But it's really important to create a communication plan for how you want to get that information out. Uh, so push communication would be sending uh, the data out, let's say, or the 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 graphs or the metrics or the KPIs out, let's say on like a uh, monthly email distribution group. Pull communication would be just having the report uh, be in the system when somebody wants to go in there and just pull uh, the information or the uh, metric ad hoc, they're able to do that. And then the last uh, method would be to create some type of information radiator, such as like a central monitor or display within the organization, within the facility, within the maintenance shop, so that users could, uh, if they wanted to see information, just walk past the screen and see how the teams are currently performing. I'm really a big fan of that last method, uh, creating an information radiator or a central display or monitor within the facility uh, to view this information because one, uh, it puts it into a central area so that creates accountability uh, that in that everybody can see this information uh, it's public information that's really on display for everybody to see, and it creates a sense of accountability for achieving uh, metrics uh, or achieving um, the goals that you put forth when you're creating these KPIs. Uh, the other reason I like it is that typically the data would be live, right? Those uh, monitors would be pulling the data live from the system uh, so that it would be completely up to date at all times. Uh, when you create a, an email distribution group to send, uh, let's say graphs or uh, any other metrics or KPIs, oftentimes the data itself within those is only as recent as when those emails were sent. So for instance, if I send an email out this morning at 7 a.m., uh, if somebody doesn't look at that report until let's say noon of that same day, that information could already be outdated. Uh, it, it could possibly be missing some information already. So I'm really a big fan of using uh, a central information radiator to display information because of those benefits. It uh, creates that sense of accountability by being in a public place, but it also is going to pull live data from the system. All right. So that was our first uh, item for uh, continuing uh, your implementation, CMMS implementation success, identifying key KPIs and metrics. And I just wanted to go ahead and put here some common uh, uh, KPIs and metrics that I'm sure we're, most all of us are familiar with, MTBF, MTTR, OEE, uh, and work order completion percentage, uh, just, to, just to name a few. Those are some common metrics that our customers would be looking to uh, set up within the system. The next key item would be to drive continued op, uh, adoption of the system. Uh, so what, what I had mentioned this earlier, a lot of times there's, there's excitement and engagement in the very beginning of a CMMS implementation, uh, but oftentimes later on in the implementation, those that, that engagement and that enthusiasm can sometimes track off. Uh, so we always want to make sure that we drive continued adoption, whether it's year one, whether it's year two, whether it's year three or year four and beyond. Uh, one way to do that is to track system usage. Uh, is labor being charged out to work orders? That's one really common thing that I see with customers where, you know, I'll be looking at their system and kind of taking a look uh, at the, the work orders within the system and the vast majority of them, uh, the technicians are not actually keeping track of their labor <clears throat> on their work orders. So that's one really important uh, thing that you can look at to say, are, are my end users actually using the system uh, are they charging labor out to the work orders? Every work order inside of a CMMS system should have a labor charge. Uh, for the for the there really shouldn't be a reason why that work order, unless it was canceled, wouldn't have a labor charge. Another thing that you want to maybe take a look at would be parts charges. Are parts being charged out to work orders uh, correctly, uh, or maybe are are technicians just grabbing parts off the shelf and just using them? without actually charging them out to work orders. So that's another area of the system you'll wanna take a look at, just to make sure that uh, technicians are actually using the system appropriately. Are requests being entered 
uh, into the system? Or are people still just sending emails? Are people still just picking up the phone? Are people just uh, still uh, picking up the radio but not actually entering a request within the system uh, to create that record of accountability uh, inside of the CMMS? Are work orders being closed in a timely fashion? This is something that I see quite often where I'll be working with customers and the work, let's say, was completed last month and there's still that work order inside the system is still open. Uh, so you want to make sure that you stay on top of all these things uh, inside of the CMMS. But even more so, if you're looking inside of the system, these are really good indicators if the, if the system is being used effectively. Uh, if these things aren't happening, you might want to take, uh, take a closer look to see if the system's actually being used uh, appropriately and effectively. The next item here, uh, expanding the, uh, the usage of the system into new modules, new features, new versions. Uh, at least speaking for Eman, it is a cloud-based system. Uh, so we're always constantly releasing updates to the system and new features. You want to make sure that you drive continued adoption of the system into these new modules and features because you want to take advantage of them. You want to take advantage of the fact that they are included uh, in the subscription and they really expand your usage of the system to drive that adoption, to make sure that you're getting the most value out of uh, your subscription. So expanding your usage into any new modules, features, or versions of the system, I think is absolutely important. And then lastly, a, a really good way to drive continued adoption would be to do it, uh, to consider integrations with other systems that you may be using at your organization. So we know that uh, CMMS is probably not the only system that you're using at your organization. I'm sure you're using possibly purchasing system, ERP uh, systems, maybe even production uh, software systems. Integrating the CMMS with other systems is definitely something uh, that can add value uh, and continue to drive adoption in the system uh, in year two, year three, and, and beyond. You may, uh, at least in year one, want to just get the CMMS up and running itself. And that's definitely uh, a, how a lot of customers approach their, their implementation. But once things are running smoothly with the, the, the foundational elements of the CMMS, in year two or year three and beyond, you may want to consider integrations with any other systems that you're using. The next item here would be to uh, create new user onboarding. So I'm a really big uh, proponent of uh, maintaining, uh, you know, training, training, training for the software. We want to make sure that education is a key tenant of um, our usage of the CMS, not just in year one, but beyond, because we're always constantly going to be getting new people using the system. Uh, so creating a new user onboarding for your CMS is really going to uh, pay dividends for you because the it's going to create engagement, but it's also going to make it so that you potentially as like the admin of the system or the maintenance manager aren't constantly uh, having to answer questions about, about the software. Uh, if we create an effective new user onboarding uh, for our end users, it's really going to make it so that uh, it makes our jobs easier in the long run. Um, I did put a note here to optimize the educational resources specific to the individual learner. So this shouldn't come as a shock to anybody, but different people learn in different ways. And especially at Fluke, we have many different options for how people can get trained in the CMMS and in, and in the software. We have videos, we have webinars, we have online documentation, which is essentially an online manual for the system. And we also even offer in-person training, uh, both on-site at your facility, or you can actually come to one of our training centers uh, to get trained in person. It's really important that when you're taking a look at uh, training in the software, uh, you, you take into account the different ways that different uh, types of learners actually learn. So making sure that uh, if somebody's really needs that hands-on uh, type of learning, that you would consider maybe uh, having them uh, be trained in person. Or if someone really is kind of a quick learner and you feel that they can actually uh, just get by on uh, reading maybe an article and then getting into the system and learning how to do it, the documentation outlet might be a great uh, resource for them. So uh, make sure you optimize the educational resources depending on the type of learner that you have. Uh, I did want to also make a note here for continued education for administrators and key users. 
uh, it's really kind of important, I think, that you uh, attend industry webinars, uh, kind of keeping a pulse on the industry as a whole, uh, both from a reliability perspective, but also a CMS perspective as well. And then also best practice education in the different industries that you work in uh, can go a long way uh, in making sure that you are uh, implementing uh, or taking advantage or continuing your success, successful implementation of your CMMS. For instance, maybe uh, some of the, the metrics or the KPIs specific to your industry have changed. It's really important that you keep a pulse on that stuff so that you could then go to the CMMS and maybe uh, create uh, a new metric or KPI that you're looking to track within the system. All right, next uh, item here for uh, continuing your CMMS uh, implementation success would be key stakeholder communication uh, for senior leadership. So it should come as no surprise that senior leadership is absolutely gonna wanna make sure that they're getting a, a return on their investment from the, the CMMS system that you're, you've implemented. Uh, so it's really important uh, to make sure that you quantify some of the, the improvements that you're seeing with the CMMS system. So we, uh, as we discussed uh, on our first slide uh, in the webinar, you can use the system to create metrics and KPIs and anything like that. But you really want to make sure that when you take that data, uh, you might want to even extrapolate some type of quantifi uh, quantification of what, that, uh, what those numbers mean. So for instance, if you reduce downtime, uh, on many of your critical assets by uh, maintaining them better within the CMMS, you want to make sure to actually extrapolate what is the, the actual true dollar cost of that savings. Uh, you want to make sure that you quantify those results when presenting them to any senior leadership that you're working with so that they can actually see a true return on the on investment, an, an actual dollar sign for how uh, the system is helping the organization. You may also want to consider uh, doing a quarterly business review uh, with your senior leadership. That's essentially an internal presentation where you can uh, present uh, on a quarterly basis uh, what's been uh, achieved with the system, what that ROI is, uh, what other benefits that uh, the organization is realizing from the system. You want to at least uh, do that quarterly, kind of take a pause and present all the improvements to the senior leadership so that they can really kind of get a pulse on uh, how effective the system is and what those cost savings are looking like. Next, you wanna create a uh, business continuity plan. So I really uh, have seen this happen quite often where there's a lot, there's that excitement in the beginning of the implementation. Everyone's super excited about it. And then as uh, time goes on, people drop off the project. You have new team members coming in. Uh, you have people maybe completely leaving the organization. Maybe even many of your senior leadership team members have left the organization that initial, initially were your executive sponsor for the implementation. Creating a business continuity plan is really, really critical because that is actually something that can derail uh, the CMMS uh, project in year two or year three or beyond. I've seen a lot of success in year one and then unfortunately, uh, organizations that don't have a good business continuity plan in place can actually uh, see the CMS system fail later on down the line. So by creating a uh, business continuity plan, we want to really kind of address a few things here and making sure that uh, those types of situations do not affect the success of the project. Does the administrator of the system hold all the knowledge? Is all the knowledge about how the system works and how this system is administrated, administrated is all that knowledge being held by one person uh, because that's that's a risk, right? We want to make sure that uh, if that person leaves the organization, we're not uh, in a bad place in terms of getting someone else up to speed in regards to how to best administer the system. Uh, you'll want to make sure that you train a co-administrator, someone that uh, works with the administrator pretty closely that also shares some of that knowledge. That way uh, you're not putting all the knowledge uh, in the head of just one person. Uh, so it's really important that uh, if that person perhaps moved to a different team or uh, perhaps is no longer involved in the project or even uh, left the organization completely, we wanna make sure we're not in a situation where all the, the knowledge is, is, leaves with that person. So definitely train a co-administrator. You wanna make sure that you don't put all of your uh, knowledge in the, the, the mind of just one person. 
You'll also want to make sure that you develop uh, SOP documentation for doing specific things within the, the system. So uh, creating those standard operating procedures for how to do certain things with the in the system is going to be really important for onboarding new users of the system. You could actually point them to these internal documents for how to do certain things, uh, but also making sure that uh, further on down the line, uh, if anyone needs to reference this, uh, these items, it creates that business continuity where um, we we're, we don't have so much tribal knowledge uh, in that all of our tribal knowledge has been written down on this SOP documentation so that anyone could essentially be trained on how to do certain things within the system or maybe even administrate, administrate the system. So developing uh, SOP documentation is absolutely critical for making sure that uh, the business continu continuity uh, of the system continues. All right, so those were the five items for continuing your CMMS implementation success. Um, I do appreciate everyone's time today. Um, if anyone has any questions, feel, feel free to go ahead and uh, place them into the chat. I'd be happy uh, to answer any questions for you. I think we may have finished a little bit early today, so I don't mind hanging out at all uh, to answer any questions that you might have about uh, continuing your CMMS uh, implementation uh, in year two, year three, or year four, but any other uh, questions in general about uh, your CMMS. All right, thank you, Ray. Um, yeah. If you have questions, please, audience, enter those questions in the questions section of your um, GoToWebinar menu. In the meantime, I do have a few questions for you, Ray. Uh -huh. And you're welcome to stop sharing if you want to and just um, come on screen with us. There we go. <laughs> Great. Great, okay, let's see. The first question I have is, how do you separate RCA, et cetera, in terms of work orders? Root cause analysis for the work orders? Yeah. Okay, so the RCA on the work order, typically that would be a field that we add to the work order uh, where it, it really honestly depends on the organization. A lot of customers would do an approach like the five whys, uh, where you know they're 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 using the five whys to get to the root cause analysis of the actual issue that they're presenting. My first bit of advice would begin to track the issues. So figuring out uh, common issues that you're running into quite often by adding a field, or it could actually be two fields to the work order. So for instance, based on the type of asset that it is, you can actually create uh, an email a drill down and the first uh, level would be the type of asset and then based on that asset in the second field you can have a list of issues that you actually commonly uh, run into with that specific asset my first piece of advice would be to begin tracking those issues uh, you're probably two things might happen the first thing that might happen is that it kind of re reaffirms what you probably already know hey those you know compressors are always giving us those issues or those HVAC units are all, we're always having this issues. That, that's typically uh, what will happen. It kind of reaffirms what you, you already know you're running into, but now you kind of have data to back it up. And then the second thing it could actually show you is issues that you're constantly running into that you had no idea about. So my first uh, piece of advice there would be to add some type of field to your work order based on the asset type. Uh, that identifies a certain subset of issues that you're uh, running into. And then once you begin to track that on each and every work order, you can begin to create a report that will show you how often you're running into those issues. And then you can begin to uh, figure out the root cause analysis for those issues. Uh, and it really should be a team effort as well. I think uh, it's important to include everybody in that uh, analysis to figure out, all right, this month on our compressors, we're constantly running into issues where uh, the, the machine is running, uh, there's too much pressure in the machine. And then once you identify that as a common issue, then you can begin to figure out exactly what, what the reason behind it is. All right, thank you. The questions are coming in. I hope you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next, does integration with other systems normally take place during the second or third year? or is it available from the start? 
it is available from the start. Uh, I do sometimes caution customers not to bite off too much more uh, than they can chew uh, in the beginning. Uh, don't forget that you're you're going to have your hands full just implementing the CMMS system. You know, this is a new system. There's a lot of moving pieces to get this up and running and make it a success. A success. Uh, oftentimes, sometimes. Oftentimes, my recommendation is to wait at least a few months to get the foundational elements of the CMS up and running and then focus on the integration. So that could be, you know, depending on the organization, six months down the line or a year down the line, then you could shift the focus potentially to an integration. Now, there are going to be some customers where they, they literally cannot use the CMS unless there's an integration in place. And that's kind of a non-starter. You, you got to have that uh, starting out. So, for instance, maybe... Uh, they're coming from another CMMS that had an in integration already with their ERP system, and it's got to be in there uh, when they start to use a new system. For those types of customers, it definitely uh, is going to be a requirement from day one. But if you can potentially wait, I would say wait until at least a little bit further along, along down the line, six months or a year, or sometimes uh, maybe even uh, year two to work on those integrations. That could be a phase two type item as opposed to a, a day one item. Uh, but it does depend on your situation. If it's got to be day one, it's got to be day one. Uh, if there's no way around it, we can definitely uh, do it. And, you know, that's going to have to be uh, part of the initial project. But if you can wait for it, my suggestion would be uh, to focus on getting the foundational elements of the CMMS up and running and then focus on the integrations. All right. Thank you. Next. Yep. Does eMate plan to offer RCFA analysis and preventative maintenance optimization? I believe so, yeah. So our professional services team, we have talked about offering uh, those uh, services as part of an offering. Uh, I can definitely get back to you on that. Uh, if you put your name in the chat, I can definitely let you know uh, when something like that will be offered. Most of our uh, offerings would be uh, they're, they're a little bit um, more focused on the implementation side of the CMMS, uh, but definitely as part of our professional services team, we are looking to offer stuff like that. All right, thank you. Next, any tips for changes to CMMS as the size of your team increases? We are going from a team of one to a team of several. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, as you're expanding the team, you know, the number one thing that I really try to drive home with customers is to, to keep things simple. You don't want to overcomplicate uh, the system. You know, the goal of a, a, a maintenance technician is not to be in front of the computer all day. And we want to make sure that they're, you know, they got a wrench in their hand as much as, uh, as much as possible. They're out on the floor, actually making sure that the equipment is being well maintained and dealing with, you know, unplanned breakdowns. Uh, as you expand to a larger team, just make sure that you keep the system simple. You're going to have more people that are probably going to be wanting to give input into how the system should be and how the system should be designed. But as you're kind of North Star, just try to keep things simple. You're going to take that feedback. Uh, do not overcomplicate the system. As you expand the usage, just make sure that you don't have too many cooks in, in the kitchen and giving their thoughts on the system. Most of the decisions uh, should be still made by one singular uh, person or a key group of administrators or uh, let's say the maintenance manager uh, as opposed to you know everybody getting their input. All right, next. Um, does e eMate have some already created PDFs or PowerPoints that would help me to create training for my new users? We do, absolutely. Uh, definitely uh, the online documentation is a great resource that you could, you know, it, it is online, so it's right, uh, you can load it right inside of Chrome. It's an online wiki because we're constantly, the, the software is evolving, right? Because it's cloud-based, there's constantly updates to it. So the online wiki is constantly getting updated with uh, edits and stuff like that. But you can actually go in there and use your browser to print a PDF. Now you may want to, uh, maybe change the screenshots a little bit uh, to actually be screenshots of your system, which you can definitely do. Uh, that I think goes a long way in catering uh, the training to be a little bit more specific to your system. As we all know, e is very configurable, so we want to make sure that 
the screenshots themselves potentially match your system. But the online wiki is an amazing resource for uh, training documentation and no issue at all to kind of take that documentation, use that as kind of a starting point for your own training uh, documentation. But my recommendation would be to, to edit it a little bit specific to your system, but also if you want to take it to that next level, use your own, use screenshots of your own system. The, the screenshots that are in those online uh, documentation articles are typically uh, just the email out of the box configuration. You may want to take screenshots of the, actually your own system. Great, thank you. And we have more. Does the onboarding cover work order management and the importance of it to get solid reporting that asset managers can base decisions on? So let me say that a little better. Does the onboarding cover work order management and the importance of it to get solid reporting that asset managers can base their decisions on? Um, so I think maybe you're referring to the email onboarding, uh, the email uh, potentially the, the, the either eight week or 12 week remote implementation. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, a key focus of that remote implementation is gonna be the, the work order management component of the system. Uh, so they're really going to work with you pretty closely to configure your uh, work order form uh, to really uh, meet the needs of your organization. But really, also at the end of the day, you know, email is a CMS system. It's a you can do a lot of great things with it. You can really, uh, you know, create an effective PM program. You can create an effective inventory management uh, program. But at the end of the day, it is a work order system, right? So uh, work order management is one of the key parts of onboarding our new customers, and they will absolutely spend uh, a lot of time uh, covering the work order in the system. Uh, I remind customers that once you're live with the system, once you're off and running with the system, you know, 90% of your time is likely to be spent inside of the work order module. You know, we have a PM module, we have an inventory module, we have an asset module, uh, but the vast majority of your day-to-day -day use of the system will be spent on the work order module. Uh, so absolutely, that is a large portion uh, of the, the onboarding of any new customer. All right, and our next question. Mm -hmm. What will the hierarchy and levels of administration be when using a CMMS? Um, there are four that come with the system out of the box, and these are kind of really good ones, regardless of whether you're gonna be using eMain or another CMMS system. We have an administrator uh, that by default, the administrator gets any any uh, permission in the system. So you'll want to make sure that the administrator actually kind of knows what they're doing. Uh, they'll have permission to do anything in the system. So you'll have at least one administrator. Um, other than that, there is a level uh, which in email we call them like a super user. So you're pretty much given the ability to do pretty much anything in the system typically accept deleting records. So that's one thing that we really wanna make sure that uh, maybe just the administrator can do that. And that would be deleting records. So that would be a super user level user where they can kind of do everything. And that maybe that would be a good role for that co-administrator uh, that I mentioned. Uh, they would be a super user, but not at that admin level. Um, and then the next level would be someone like a manager. So someone like the maintenance manager where they do need access to let's say the PM module in the system or being able to do uh, certain things like maybe adding a new asset to the system. That would be more like the manager level uh, and maybe also closing, fully closing out work orders or jobs like that or setting up new PM schedules. That would be at the manager level. And then a step below that would actually be the, the, the technician level where pretty much their job is more just focused on the work orders uh, editing work orders, putting their labor on the work orders, charging their parts out to work orders. They don't really need too much of the administrative uh, functions of the system. That would be the next level. And then the lowest level would probably probably be read-only access. So that would be uh, the individual can really just view records in the system. They can't really do anything in the system. You kind of dummy-proof it a little bit for them so that they can uh, view records but not actually mess anything up. And Funny enough, the read-only access is a lot of times it's actually, I've seen customers mostly give it to senior leadership uh, users in the system where they want to be allow that senior leader to view the system, but they don't want them to really kind of mess uh, things up in the system. So they actually give them that read-only access so that they can view things in the system 
uh, view reports, metrics, uh, dashboards, and stuff like that. But not really. They don't really need access to uh, do anything uh, like editing records and stuff like that within the database. So those are the the typical levels uh, that I would recommend. Admin, then a super user, then a manager, then a technician, and then lastly that read-only access. All right, thank you, Ray. We have more. Uh, let's see, does, does it have not only VMRS codes, but PCR codes? And then in parentheses, for PCR, it says problem, cause, remedy. Mm -hmm. No, typically we do not. Uh, the VMRS, I think we do uh, have uh, an email out-of-the-box template that does have those codes in them. Uh, we typically like to work with customers one-on-one -on -one during the onboarding to figure out exactly what their coding is going to be for their work orders. So it's and every honestly every business and customers a little bit different. We do have uh, kind of different uh, email accounts specific to fleet or other uh, types of uh, business or uh, verticals. But usually we like to have the customer uh, conversation with the customer one-on-one -on -one to figure out what coding they want to use on their work orders. Uh, and then we actually go ahead and set it up in the system for them. Uh, we definitely can reference certain uh, industry-specific uh, documents to, to provide a list to customers. Hey, this is a, a common uh, symptom or cause uh, list for the industry of let's say facilities management or you know vmrs coding is uh oftentimes used in the trucking industry we don't put them in the system without having the conversation uh with the customer because even though two customers might be in the same exact industry they might not exactly do things uh how another uh company within that same industry might do it so we can absolutely set it up super super e uh, it's very easy to set up any type of drop down uh within the system uh, but we typically wait during the onboarding to have that conversation with the customer just to make sure that uh, the, the coding is going to be exactly what they're looking for. All right. Um, let's see. Our next question. Does the CMS system have a soft deleting feature and not a hard delete for recovery purposes? Um, it, uh, X4, no. Eman X4, no. Uh, there is a delete button uh, and it, it actually, well, to, to, to be honest, when you delete a record in X4, it goes to a repository called uh, uh, Remove Deleted Records, which essentially, think of that as like the trash can on your Windows PC. It goes to this repository, this kind of purgatory where you then can fully delete it. Um, so yes, I would say in actually both versions of the system, X4 and X5, we do have a soft delete. When you hit that delete button, it actually doesn't fully go away. X5, we don't even call it delete anymore. Uh, we've actually moved away from calling it delete. Uh, in X5, it's simply called archiving a record. Uh, we do not use the terminology delete in X5 because we don't really want customers to delete records uh, for the most part. Uh, when a customer asks me, hey, can I delete these records? I usually always propose them, okay, you, you can, but why? What's the, the thought process behind deleting these records? Uh, you know, if it was just an error, maybe some test records that were created, absolutely you can delete them. Uh, but there is a soft uh, delete function in both X4 and X5 uh, that you can use. It's not, you know, delete and it's gone forever. Uh, we also keep backups of the system. So if you ever inadvertently uh, delete stuff that you and, uh, and fully deleted it and you didn't want to, we could absolutely uh, pull restore of your system so that we can restore those records. All right, thank you. All right, uh, let's see next. You have VMRS, but can mm -hmm. clients build those codes to perform thorough RCA slash RCFA or FMEA analysis. And if you need me to read that again, I will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it all comes down to adding fields to the work order and then populating those fields with uh, the appropriate values. So if you have values that you want to use for those, uh, for instance, like I was saying, uh, for like a, uh, a certain asset type, if you're constantly running into uh, certain issues, you might want to create a list of those specific issues. Um, and then once you add that to the work order on every work order based off the asset that's selected on the work order, you email can load up those specific issues to it and then you can make your selections. And then once you start loading all that data 
onto your work orders and you've begun to enter work orders, let's say for a month or two or three months, you can begin to pull those issues out onto report to see, all right, I'm constantly running into this issue. What's going on? And look, I can actually extrapolate a cost for this issue that I'm constantly running into. We've spent this um, amount in parts on this issue and I've spent this amount of labor on this issue. We, are, we really got to get a handle on this. Uh, so we can very easily create uh, those types of lists on your work order in the system. Uh, it would be up to you as the customer to, to actually provide us the data for those lists, but very easily you can add multiple different uh, lists onto the actual work order in the system that would allow you to begin tracking how often you're running into those issues and even what the remedy is for those specific issues. Uh, like you mentioned, you could have a, a, a remedy list as well. All right, next, can triggers be set based on predictive maintenance for conditions that are not with parameters by utilizing your condition-based monitoring? Uh -huh. Yes, absolutely. So I, I think you had said without, uh, can you say that for me one more time, Robin? Sure, can, trig can triggers be set based on predictive maintenance for conditions that are not with parameters by utilizing your condition-based monitoring. Okay, so I think you said conditions with with parameters. So yeah, with uh, our condition-based monitoring module, uh, you can use the system to keep track of readings and then within the, uh, the condition monitoring module, create either an upper or lower bound threshold for triggering a work order or an alert within the system. Uh, it doesn't what, what if they, Ray, I'm sorry, there was yeah. a correction added. What if they are not within your set of operating parameters? If they're not with it, so if, uh, maybe ask them, are they asking if the reading goes beyond the threshold? Is that what the question is? Yes. Okay, so yes, if the reading go, if the reading in the condition monitoring module goes above uh, the upper bound threshold or below the lower bound threshold. And I will note as well, you don't necessarily need to have an uh, both, you, you can just have an upper or you can just have a lower. Um, I'll just mention that. But yes, if the reading actually goes beyond that threshold, it can either create an alert within the system or even uh, automatically create a work order uh, within the system. So that's one benefit of the condition monitoring module. I will also let you know that you know, part of a good predictive maintenance program is to get ahead of those issues before the, the alert comes out or before the work order gets created. You'll want to use the email reporting module to begin to view that data. So you could actually create a graph within the system with the upper and lower bound threshold on it. And it's, it's showing your readings. And let's say uh, the reading is constantly getting closer and closer to, to that upper bound threshold even though it didn't cross it and create that alert or that work order, if you see that your reading is close, uh, slowly getting closer and closer to that upper bound threshold, you kind of have an idea that, hey, something's going on here. Uh, let's predict, let's get ahead of it. Let's, let's get ahead of this issue before it creates a failure event within the system. So that's another real benefit of the condition-based monitoring module in EMAT in that, yes, it can create an alert. Yes, it can create a work order, but let's actually use the EMAT reporting module to get eyes on it. And that way we can see if it's trending up, we can figure out uh, the issue before it actually crosses the threshold. All right. Um, a little more system-wide question. Mm -hmm. Is the EMATE CMS, CMMS system, is it SAS or is there an on-site version? Uh, it is completely web-based. Okay. Yeah. So completely then, copy. Uh, as long as you have a solid internet connection, uh, you will be able to access the system. And we're really big proponents of a cloud-based system. It allows us to easily uh, release new features of the system, uh, constantly. Uh, quickly uh, fix if there's any ever a bug in the system allows us to deploy hot fixes very easily, anything like that. So it's really, we're big proponents of based software. Our next question, and we have about 13 minutes left, so I've got about four more questions and we'll try to get to those. Okay. The, fir the first one is, does your inventory module allow you to set ROPs to reorder perform blind counts for cycle counting and track uh -huh. turn rates. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm not familiar with the term ROP. Do you, uh, do you mind chatting that in? Yeah, um, our uh, reorder points. Reorder point, yes, absolutely. So that's one of the the really important things on an, in the inventory module is that when you uh, set a, a reorder point, it'll allow you to create uh, reorder reports within the system. Sometimes I'll be honest with you, customers don't include all that data on the inventory record. They really just want to use email, uh, let's say to keep track of the current on-hand quantities and they don't really create reorder reports and stuff like that within the system. So it just depends on how much you want to use in the inventory module, but all those things that you mentioned are possible in our inventory reporting module. Cycle counts, uh, creating uh, those inventory reorder uh, reports based off the ROP, um, all those are possible. All right, a little more generalized question as far as management of the overall effort. What are some of the most common missteps that you have seen customers make in the later phase or phases of a CMMS implementation? Hmm, good question there. Um, probably just really using the system as, let's say a filing cabinet. They, they're using the system, but they really haven't gotten into any reporting or developing those metrics and KPIs that we talked about a lot today. They're really just using the system as a, a, as a glorified filing cabinet. Uh, so that's probably one of the common missteps I've seen because at the end of the day, you should be using the system to drive business decisions. And if you're if you're really just using it as a filing cabinet, you know, I see that as almost you're you're not getting the full value out of the software. We really want to make sure that uh, you're using the system to drive business decisions, and don't just use it as a as a as a database. Really make sure that you're getting those. Uh, you're analyzing the data that you're putting into it by creating those metrics and KPIs. So don't sit on the data. You really kind of make use of the data that you're collecting. And the next one I have is, um, do you currently today have any CMS, CMMS systems in production for any maritime industries? I did work with a maritime uh, client a few years ago when I was a customer success manager. Uh, they were based out of Seattle. Um, so yes, absolutely. Um, I could definitely uh, connect with my team if you want to go ahead and put your information into the chat uh, to maybe connect you uh, with any other uh, clients that are in your industry uh, if you maybe wanted to, to chat with them. Absolutely. I have worked with um, clients in the maritime industry. And this one's similar, somewhat similar to the question we just talked about in, in not using the full use of your CMMS system. Mm -hmm. We're heading into the third year of our CMMS implementation. We still don't use most, most of our system. We use it for work order tracking and request from our production team. What's the best approach to build out an effective PM program? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I will say it's great that you're you're using it in some capacity, so definitely, um, as I mentioned, you'll always want to continue to drive adoption in the system. And one of the ways that you can do that is absolutely developing your PM program. Um, the first step I would recommend there is to probably identify your, your critical assets. So the assets that are most critical to your operation, uh, identify them and then build out the PM program specifically for those assets. Obviously you might have lots more assets, but if you wanted to start slowly and build the PM program, uh, kind of an, an approach that's starting with the most important things first, identify your critical assets and then develop the PMs uh, for those specific critical assets. Both the task for maintaining those assets uh, correctly. So for instance, what are the actual steps of uh, the PMs that I want the technician to perform, and then also how often I want those to be performed. So for instance, this critical asset, do we want to maybe PM it every month, or is it gonna be every quarter, or is it gonna be every uh, six months, or is it gonna be every year, or maybe it's gonna be all of those, right? Because a single asset, you can absolutely have multiple PMs on it. Uh, you wanna make sure that you uh, not only uh, develop uh, a good task list or a good uh, list of procedures for how the technician is going to maintain that asset, but you also want to take a look at the frequencies for how often you're maintaining it. Uh, and then I would also recommend adjusting as well. Um, 
a good PM program is one that's constantly living and breathing. You don't just want to set things and forget it, right? You want to take a look at those PMs that you just set up on those critical assets and say, all right, I'm still constantly getting breakdowns on this machine. It's still giving us so many headaches. And you want to take a look at the PM to make sure it's actually effective. You want to make sure that you maybe adjust the frequency uh, to, to perhaps do the uh, preventive maintenance more often. Or you might want to take a look at what the technician's actually doing as part of those PMs to make sure that it's actually effective. You want to say, all right, are those 20 steps that that technician is doing as part of that quarterly PM, are they, is it actually doing anything? Uh, because I'm constantly still getting breakdowns. So a good PM program is one that's constantly evolving and constantly changing. And you'll want to use the CMMS to really pull data out of the system to say, all right, uh, I set up PMs on these 20 assets. Let me pull a report out of the database to see am, what my break, am I still constantly getting breakdowns for these machines or is it actually improving? Uh, after I tweak that PM, uh, the, 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 the amount of downtime for that asset is uh, reduced drastically. That to me would lead uh, to uh, an improve, that would indicate an improvement. You also want to take into account, it happens quite often, sometimes customers over PM the equipment. So conversely, uh, under PM could potentially uh, create a lot of unplanned downtime or a lot of failures on that piece of equipment. On the flip side, you don't want to over PM uh, a piece of equipment because then you're wasting labor and potentially parts uh, as part of over PMing uh, that piece of equipment. So a good uh, starting off, uh, if you really wanna start with a, uh, kind of building a new PM program, identify your critical assets and I would say target them, then build out an effective task uh, for, uh, for your actual PM. So the list of steps that the technician's gonna be performing and then uh, decide on your frequencies for how often you want those PNs to be performed and then adjust from there. You don't really, it's not set it and forget it, adjust as, as time goes on. And I would say at least quarterly, sit down with your team and, and take a look at your PMs to say, hey, let's do an, uh, a PM uh, effective analysis and say, are these actually being effective or is it reducing downtime or is, for whatever reason, is downtime still increasing even though we're PMing this machine? Based on that information that you can now pull from the CMMS, you'll, you'll be able to uh, make adjustments to your PM. Well, thank you so much, Ray. We really appreciate your expertise and you're taking the time to answer some of these great questions that we've got gotten today.